the San Francisco Experience podcast. Brought to you by Jim Hurley. Independent commentary from a Silicon Valley, California perspective for a global audience. Featuring newsmakers, thought leaders, and authors. Season 21, Episode 1. Airport 1975. Talking to Sean Chang of the Hill Place movie and TV blog. Arthur Haley's original novel, Airport, published in 1968, was turned into a successful film in 1970. And throughout the 1970s, a series of other airport-inspired films were produced. Sean Chang joins us today to review one of his all-time favorites, Airport 1975. Hi, Sean, and welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me back. My pleasure. Sean, tell us about Airport 1975. Well, first of all, despite its title, the movie actually was released in October 18, 1974, which can be a bit confusing for viewers who are looking it up on Google. But Airport 1975 was the second of the four airport movies that Universal Studios released during the 1970s. It starred Charlton Heston uh, and Karen Black, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr., George Kennedy, Susan Clark, uh, Helen Reddy, and Myrna Loy. It's the story of a uh, 747 passenger jet uh, that's flying out of Dallas Airport. It's on its way to Los Angeles International Airport, but due to bad weather, the flight gets diverted to uh, Salt Lake City, where they're going to um, you know, try to land and, and have a layover there. As they're beginning to land in Salt Lake, a small engine plane piloted by a character played by Dana Andrews, that pilot played by Dana Andrews has a heart attack and that plane collides into the cockpit of the 747. The flight crew is killed in the instance of co-pilot Roy Thinnes and the uh, navigator Eric Estrada, and the uh, captain uh, Ephraim Zimblis Jr. is badly injured and blinded. Because of that, and also because the purser you know, is killed as well because he falls down the spiral staircase uh, during the collision, it leaves Karen Black, who plays the lead flight attendant, Nancy Pryor, uh, since she's now the senior officer of this plane, to take over the controls of the plane to try to, uh, to, try to you know, steer it to you know, safety and try to keep the plane in air until a, um, a rescue attempt can be made by having the senior members of the airline collaborate with the Air Force to try to have a pilot basically brought down through an umbilical from a you know, nearby, uh-huh. from, a, from a helicopter that's flying you know, above the 747 to try to bring, you know, bring that pilot into the hole that's been caused by the crash and help land the plane. That's the general plot of this movie. But anybody who's ever watched Airport in 1975 realizes that the plot is only, you know, part of the charms of this movie. This is one of those movies uh, from the 1970s in terms of that j- disaster genre yes. that was so popular at the time that people people either deride it or they have great fondness for it. The people who have great fondness for it have fondness for it because they find it exciting, but they also find it a term that I'm not really crazy about, but but some people find it appropriate. They find it campy. They find <laughs> some of the dramatics of it so overwrought and so silly that it brings humor and great joy to the viewers who, who watch the movie. But I don't prefer, I prefer not to call it camp. Can I just jump in there? Because yeah. you use the word campy. 
And yes. you omitted to mention one of the stars of the film, Gloria Swanson. And, yes, I was going to get to that. Yes, and, yes. and if if ever there was a definition of camp, that's her performance in this film. But please proceed. <laughs> okay, well, the thing is, is yes, Gloria Swanson, um, forgive me for leaving that out. Gloria Swanson is on the flight, and she essentially plays herself. Yes. The movie star Gloria Swanson, who's working on her memoirs, and she's chatting with her personal assistant, uh, played by actress Linda Harrison, who starred opposite Charlton Heston years earlier in the Planet of the Apes movies. You know, she, throughout the movie, she talks about her life and she shares anecdotes, you know, with the other passengers. And and the backstory is, is that originally in the original script, the character that she played was scripted as a fictional alcoholic movie star, but she didn't like the character, but she liked the script. And she made the suggestion that if they had changed the script and made it a story where she played herself and she got to contribute her own dialogue, she'd be willing to do it. And they they made that accommodation um, to everyone's you know great happiness, but yes, the movie's campy and, the, and the, I mean in some people's eyes it's campy, but I re- actually really prefer to call it sincere. It wears its emotions on its sleeve. It's now the reason why we're doing this podcast. People are wondering why we're doing this movie, you know, now uh, out of all other times. It's because it's now streaming. It's now streaming on Netflix. And because it's streaming on Netflix, along with Airport, the later Airport film, Airport 77, it's giving people an opportunity to see this in the widest possible means in you know, the longest time that I can think of. So, so if people are listening to this and are looking for something to watch on Netflix besides some of the, you know, some of the you know, reality shows that they have on there, Airport 1975, I think, is a perfect antidote. Um, you I know, just like it. Because, you know, it's you know, it's interesting. Of course, I was around in the early '70s, and I went to see most of the disaster movies. I certainly saw Towering Inferno, which took place at the Bank of America building here in San Francisco. We've reviewed it on mm-hmm. this program. I was actually present during the filming of it. Also, yeah. I loved Earthquake, another great uh, early '70s disaster film. I don't know how I missed Airports 1975, but you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed in watching the film the other night was yeah. how different the flying experience is today than it was then. Back then, of course, in 1975, the 747 had only been in service for about five years, so it was still kind of novel, and we're, we were just getting used to these wide-bodied aircraft, etc. The other thing that was nostalgic about the film, most of the people on the flight, everyone on the flight is well-dressed. Yes. You know, yeah, well-dressed turned out the way, the way it used to be. You know, nobody's wearing sweats, nobody's wearing track suits or what have you. So it, it's a, of course it is a, it is a film. So there are a lot of, there's a lot of nostalgic touches about how flying used to be. Of course, that's almost 50 years ago, but how flying used to be certainly in the 1970s. And again, we had that novelty of the first wide body aircraft. The 747 was still kind of a novelty. And of course, on that flight, there's an upstairs lounge, which Jerry Stiller, and it's Jerry Stiller, isn't it? Well, who, who which plays one drug- think about, well Jerry Stiller, uh, Conrad Janis, yeah. and Norman <laughs> Fell play these three drunks, and they're they're quite funny, actually. Yes. They're very funny. Yes, yeah. And they're trying to, before the flight takes off, they try to basically uh, board um, the first class lounge, right. but they're told by the flight attendant, like, aren't you in coach? You know, <laughs> so so there's yeah, so they're so they're kind of pointing pointing out the distinction between 
first class back then and coach back then. But even in coach back then, if you recall, there's a scene where um, yeah, Myrna Loy asks for a Boilermaker, you know, a yeah. bourbon with a beer chaser from Karen Black. So even back then, then you know, even in coach, you could get basically an alcoholic beverage served to you. So yeah, I think there's that nostalgia factor that's part of the appeal to Airport 1975. But one of the things I like about the film is that compared to the other airport movies, this is the shortest one. It runs for an hour and 46 minutes. And even though there's a lot of really humorous and amusing character bits, some of the humor is intentional. Some of the humor is not intentional. But the movie knows what it's about and where it's going. The first airport um, is a very entertaining movie, but I actually prefer Airport 1975 to the original because the original airport movie, it is a soap opera and there's yes. nothing wrong with that, but there's all these different subplots and it takes a while before the plot really gets going in terms of you know the crisis in that film. And I think the reason why I prefer this sequel, Airport 1975 to the original, is the fact that the art direction uh, by George, George C. Webb is, is impeccable. I think the way he's designed the plane and the way it's lit by cinematographer Philip Lathrop makes it look like a real flight. Every time I've been on airline flights ever since I've seen the movie, you know, I always feel like that movie really captured the claustrophobia and also the darkness of an actual flight uh, better than the original airport where that plane is so brightly lit, you know, that you know you're on the studio soundstage in the original airport film. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the reasons I, I really you know, like Airport 975. But, but what I was trying to say in terms of why it's so enjoyable to me is it wears its emotions on its sleeve. It's sincere. When Karen Black and Charlton Heston are having the romantic problems, it's played straight. I mean, it might be funny to some people watching it because played straight but it's not meant to basically be ironic or sardonic it's meant to you know you're meant to really care about these characters and you're meant to care about Linda Blair trying to get to Los Angeles to have a kidney operation I mean <laughs> I mean I mean I mean in retrospect it seems it seems humorous particularly because in 1980 Paramount Pictures came out with a spoof of disaster movies called airplane and a lot of the jokes from air you know, that are in airplane are based on things from airport 1975 including you know there's like a singing flight attendant in airplane which is a tip of the hat to the singing nun played by helen, helen reddy, reddy in this movie and th things like that but i i actually prefer airport 1975 over the intentional goofiness of the airplane because I, I don't know anyone that knows me knows i have a good sense of humor and i can be very sardonic in my own way but i also have a i think i have a certain sincerity i like sincerity in movies I, I think uh, that's a quality that we're missing these days from movies and television. Anyway, well, what, what do you have to say from me? Well, you know, it's interesting. Karen Black, of course, she's the senior stewardess, but all mm -hmm. of a sudden she's thrust into this role of having to pilot the plane. Uh, again, mm -hmm. you mentioned Eric Estrada. And of course, for those, probably a lot of people have forgotten who Eric Estrada was, but back in the yeah. early mid seventies, he was a big star. He was, you know, he was the California highway patrol chips, the motorcycle cop. And of yes. course, he plays the navigator here. His name is Julio. And yes. typical uh, eye for the ladies and the whole nine yards, a uh, little bit. You know, the, there, there are some stereotypes that appear that from today's perspective, the politically correct perspective that we have today, some of those stereotypes that you see in that film just wouldn't wash today. But certainly Eric Estrada is one of, plays one of those stereotypes. The fact, well, go ahead. You were saying Karen Black. Well, well, I did, yeah. But I just want to say Karen Black, you know, she has the responsibility for guiding in this jumbo jet with hundreds of passengers 
and uh, she you know she does a she does a pretty credible job they're trying to talk her down and she's you know she's fiddling with the the controls and what have you so uh, i enjoyed her sincerity and her attempt to to really you know to wrestle this aircraft under her control well i think the thing about karen black is for uh, people who remember that era or people who don't remember that era she started her film career making movies like Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces, which were reflective of a new kind of film movement at the time that was going towards something that was a little bit more gritty and realistic mm-hmm. and not as commercial. And her appearance in this movie was very you know, unusual because she was part of the quote-unquote new Hollywood. And so we had a new Hollywood leading lady starring in a film that was a more traditional Hollywood picture. And you know, it, her presence in it is um, very offbeat and very unusual, but it adds a a certain level of credibility to it that I kind of like. Karen Black is somebody who I have always been a fan of, but as I get older, I also see her shortcomings, of which there were several. But in this film, I think she does a very good job. The only person, the only other person I would would have liked to have seen in this role to see how she would have made something of it is uh, Raquel Welch. I think Raquel Welch would have done an equally good job. She might have played the character with a little more toughness to it than Karen Black does. And in fact, to address that issue, Karen Black got a bit of criticism from you know, movie critics at the time. They felt that the movie was a bit chauvinistic by showing her being frightened in the cockpit of the you know, of the 747. Yes. And and being vulnerable but the thing about karen black is she was not a didactic actress some actresses of that era like let's say jane fonda or vanessa redgrave would choose roles specifically to make some sort of a political or politically correct you know message or purpose karen black really wasn't a person like that she did what she thought would be dramatically truthful to that character and i think she probably interpreted this character as a regular person who was thrust into an unusual circumstance who was frightened and is not going to hold back her mm-hmm. fear and not show her fear but she deals with it and she manages to rise to the occasion and in one particular instance, pilot the plane to safety. So I, I actually like the fact that she wasn't driven by a didactic purpose, but, but driven by a purpose of trying to play the character as authentically as she could. Excuse me for interrupting. And, you know, for anyone in our audience who's enjoy, who's looking for some good old fashioned melodrama Mm-hmm. There's plenty of there's plenty of that in this film. There's again coming back to Karen Black, the a pilot is being lowered on a uh, on a line from a hel- from a uh, navy helicopter flying in front of the 747 and he's being being gingerly lowered down towards the big hole in the cockpit of the 747 and so mm-hmm. Karen Black is struggling to grab him and pull him into the cockpit and you know she's she's having some difficulty doing it and he he kind of the, you know the line moves away and he he goes a little bit off to the to the right and then she pulls him back in and then just as you think that she's got him into the cockpit, his hook on his waist hooks onto a hooks onto some metal hook in the in the cabin and he's lost. He goes flying yeah. off into the wild blue yonder. I mean, sad, but very me- melodramatic. Well, you missed out the key point. It, 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 they send another pilot in to try to, you know, to basically um, climb in through the hole. It's yes. Charlton Heston. And during that moment, 
and it's a close-up on her, and she sticks her tongue out at the camera, which is something that has caused audiences to, you know, roar with laughter. But she said in an interview that she, when she was filming the scene, she was so into the moment, she just wasn't even thinking, and she just kind of she went with it because she kind of felt like the character of Nancy wouldn't be thinking about how she looked. She would be thinking about doing what she could to help get the guy into the plane, and she probably would be sticking her mouth, her tongue out, just you know, not being conscious of her appearance. So that shows you how dedicated she was. But there's a lot of good actors in it. Ephraim Zibbles Jr., like I said, plays the pilot. He's, you know, he's at, and he's plays the captain of the plane, excuse me, who is injured. And he shows a lot of dignity in that role. When he's blinded, he's helpless. And Karen Black shows up and, you know, he's basically asking, like, you know, are we still flying? That's a very serious moment. And Zim, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is an excellent actor and he underplays it so that that becomes a genuinely serious scene. It, I don't find it a, a humorous scene at all. And later when his character doesn't want to be sedated because he wants to remain conscious in case he can be of assistance later, I think that shows uh, the integrity of the character and I like that very much. Um, Charles Heston is excellent in it. George Kennedy, who plays Joe Petroni, a carryover from the original film, is also excellent. Susan Clark, who is an excellent, excellent actress that I personally know and she's a terrific human being, um, she plays George Kennedy's wife in the movie, and, and she's great. She, she's great. She has a really wonderful moment where she's talking to her husband, you know, on the radio, and you know, trying to convey to him that she, she and, her, and their son are are safe. It's got good actors in it. I mean, some, there's some critics who uh, deride the movie and put it in books like the worst movies of all time. But I think the people who write books like that probably have not sat through the worst movies of all time <laughs> if they include something like Airport 1975. But one of the key things I want to point out about the movie that makes it so interesting. I don't know if I I mentioned earlier that the art direction makes it a very convincing flight. But the other thing I like is that the director, Jack Smite, chose real locations for the airport. Mm -hmm. It opens at Dulles Airport outside of Washington, D.C., and they filmed at Dulles International Airport. And then uh, subsequently, they filmed outside of Salt Lake in the mountains outside of Salt Lake. And there's real aerial footage of the 747 that that's really impressive in contrast to airport, which you really just use miniatures and also all the stuff at Salt Lake International Airport in terms of the crash landing and dealing with the, you know, with the ground crew was done at Salt Lake. So I think that kind of, it brings a certain kind of realism to it that I think the first film lacked. And I want to give that credit to Jack Smite, who was one of those journeyman directors of the era who, you know, worked in both television, episodic television feature films and television movies and Jack Smite at that just was basically in the midst of a of a movie career where he was doing major studio films like Harper with Paul Newman no way to treat a lady and the illustrated man with rod steiger and projects like that and my friend who i interviewed on my blog mariana hill worked with him on a film called the traveling executioner and she thought jack smite was an excellent director and really kind person to work with so i want to pay tribute to him you mentioned the the cinema verite there are certain moments of cinema verite just coming back to Salt Lake and the mm-hmm. air, the air traffic controllers at Salt Lake, were they actual air traffic controllers or were they actors? Well, I'll tell you, the main one, the main one that Karen Black speaks with is played by a character actor named Alan Fudge. So he's a professional actor. Yes. The others, I'm not quite sure. They could be local area actors hired or they might be real air traffic controllers. But I, I, I imagine they probably were local area actors that were hired for the picture. Maybe some of them might be genuine air traffic controllers. But I think the point that you're making is that this is filmmaking from an era where they're not trying to pick someone that just came off the cover of a, of a magazine to right. play an air traffic controller. They're 
playing people, uh, they're picking people that look like, you know, regular folk. And that's the other thing I like about the movie. I mean, we mentioned some of the famous people in the cast, but one of the key things I want to mention is that the passengers on the plane are played by really interesting character actors that have that kind of familiar face quality that we've seen them in constant and constantly through the years in different projects. Virginia Gregg is in the passenger manifest. So is Virginia Vincent and George Weiner and Clyde Kuzatsu. And these are character actors that we've seen in films and TV through the years. And they're just basically among the frightened faces on that flight. And their faces are so fascinating that that's one of the things I enjoy watching about the picture is looking to see who's in the background and looking to make them out. One of the key things I want to mention is, is that I mentioned that I know Susan Clark who plays George Kennedy's wife, but I also know three other actresses that were in the film. Irene Sue, who we oh, of course, yes, we interviewed her yeah, a few months yeah, ago. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she you see, she was the flight attendant, Carol, and then she has yes. quite a bit to do in the film. And then two other uh, actresses that I know, Lorette Spang and Sharon Glass, they play flight attendants, and their parts are actually smaller than, um, than Irene Sue's. Just as background, Sharon Glass and Lorette Spang were both contract players with Universal Studios at the time, and Universal was the last studio to have actors under contract. And they were they were cast in the film because you know the studio wanted to put some of their contract players in, into the picture as background players, as flight attendants um, or passengers. And um, they had no lines, or they had very few lines because they were being paid a weekly salary by the studio. That's my understanding of what what they've told me, and that if they had lines that it would mean that they would have to get paid, you know, whatever the Screen Actors Guild scale was. Uh-huh. Uh, so on top of their weekly salary. So they were both in the picture, but they ended up you know, not having a, a lot to say, but they were on it for weeks. They were on it for weeks. And so they each have told me that um, very, very funny, very warm and very witty stories about the making of it. And I remember Lorette Spake said that she particularly enjoyed spending time with Berna Loy because she was such a huge fan of Berna Loy. And, and so, and, and Sharon Glass, yeah, there was a there was a part of another flight attendant played by Christopher Norris in the picture, and um, and Sharon has this wonderful sense of humor and joked how um, she and Lorette had been at Universal, they'd been working hard and doing all these uh, TV guest appearances at the studio, and here comes a feature film with the with the part that either of them could play, but they hired somebody from off the lot, Christopher Norris, to play that part. So she was kind of, uh, but she they both I think they both liked her anyway, and and Christopher Norris playing that role, the young flight attendant, she she is good in that role. So, mm-hmm. so that so those are some of the anecdotes that they've shared, and um, and Irene had told me a story. She was not a contract player at, at Universal. She was someone hired as a freelancer, just like Christopher Norris, and her contract to do that picture was for twelve week twelve weeks. And she would say to her agent. I don't really have a lot to do in this picture. And your agent would say, you're being paid a lot of money by the week. Shut up. Don't, don't complain. <laughs> you know, just do it. You know, so I, so I think they all had like, you know, I don't think it was a, from what I gather from them, I do not think it was a movie where they had a bad experience. I think they, they all found something enjoyable. And Irene got to know Charlton Heston. You know, and what's really important in her life and career was Charlton Heston got to know her. And when Irene applied to become a voting member of the Academy, Charlton Heston was somebody who sponsored her, her uh-huh application uh-huh. you know um so that was uh, something important but um but if we have a moment i do want to give some background about the origins of airport 1975 sure, go ahead the movie came about because there's another person i know who his birthday is actually today and his name is frank price and we're recording this on may 17th 
2023 and today's his birthday so i want to dedicate this uh, podcast to him in honor of his birthday but also uh, i want to dedicate dedicate it in honor of his of, of frank price in general because he was the one that came up with the concept and premise of airport in 1975 let me explain it to the audience frank price was a writer producer who um, started out writing and producing tv shows at universal like the virginian or ironside or it takes a thief and then he eventually became um, a studio executive and became president of Universal Television in the 1970s. And he was on an airline flight and flying into, I believe, New York. And he thought to himself, what would happen to, an, to a plane if the entire flight crew was wiped out? Mm-hmm. So that's a thought that came through his mind. But he also was flying, I believe he had told the anecdote to me, to Hawaii maybe, and he was looking out the plane and looked at the water beneath flight and wondered what would happen to a plane if it crashed into the ocean? Would it stay intact? And it, 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 would it, you know, what would happen to the plane? And that became the concept for what would become Airport 77. Uh-huh. So being the being the president of Universal Television, he, st- he commissioned writers to start working on scripts for what would become Airport 1975 and Airport 77. And his original intention was to have them be uh, television movies for the ABC network. And what had happened was he had asked the chairman of ABC, Barry Diller, to, you know, for a larger uh, than usual license fee, basically meaning, um, you know, that we're making these movies for your network. Um, so will you, you know, basically put up some money in, in terms of the license fee to help uh, help us develop it in the pre-production because these are going to be larger than usual television movie productions. And Barry Diller, who was representing ABC, was not interested in putting up that money. So he had these two scripts that he had developed. So he took it across the hall at Universal to Universal Pictures, the motion picture division, to a producer named Jennings Lang. And Jennings Lang was this very larger-than-life producer who started out as an agent and then became a studio executive. And then by the 70s, he was producing some major, major feature films like High Plains Drifter with Clint Eastwood, uh, the movie adaptation of Slaughterhouse-Five. So Jennings Lang basically was given these scripts by Frank Price, and Frank Price suggested to Jennings Lang, these are two films that I was, uh, two scripts I was developing as, a t- as TV movies, but if they're not going to be able to get the money from ABC to make them as TV movies, maybe you can take these uh, scripts and turn them into sequels to Airport. So that was the oh. origins of Airport 1975 and Airport 77. And Jennings Lang, who was basically a larger-than-life producer, kind of a showman producer, um, you know, he really brought a lot of bravado and both he and the producer he assigned to both films, William Fry, and William Fry was a veteran producer of television movies and TV shows at Universal. They they cast it with all the major stars um, that appeared in both, both Airport 1975 and Airport 77. So hopefully I've gotten my facts right, Mr. Price. I hope I didn't get anything wrong <laughs> in telling this anecdote, but those are that's the origins of, of what this movie's about. And I wanted to dedicate it in his honor because today's his birthday. Oh, Absolutely. And what a wonderful dedication. So, Sean, in the remaining few minutes of the podcast, any closing thoughts for our listeners about both Airport 75 and then this, uh, the, the subsequent airport films also? Well, I think the thing is Airport 1975 is a fun movie. It's my favorite of the airport pictures. And it was a kind of important in my life in a lot of ways because – when I saw it, I was in junior high. It was the last of the four airport movies I had seen. I'd seen the other three before, but somehow it taken me a while to get to this film. And this movie really stuck with me. And it stuck with me in ways that I, I can't even be, cannot begin to articulate because 
I became fascinated by Karen Black, wanted to read more about her work, and started really, as I was reading more about her work, I realized that there was something about cinema that at the age of 12 or 13 I didn't understand and didn't know about yet, and that was the cinema of the 1970s, which was the new Hollywood that she was a part of, and learning about movies like Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces and Robert Altman's Nashville, which became my favorite movie, and, and Altman became a favorite director of mine. So in a way, Airport 1975 was a gateway movie to me, learning more about cinema in general, and hopefully the description of, of the path that it took makes sense from what I just described to you. In that sense, it's a very seminal movie in my development of understanding cinema as both an entertainment and an art form, and I love it. I love it. I mean, I know people who really deride it and make fun of it. I can respect that, but I think it's great, and I think that if um, listeners find it on Netflix, I think they're going to have a, a very entertaining time with it. And I'll just conclude by saying to the people that made the movie, everyone from the late director Jack Smite and the late producer Jennings Lang and William Fry, and to Frank Price, who is a great guy, and he and his wife uh, Catherine are terrific people, and um, he's celebrating his birthday today. I thank him for coming up with the idea, and I thank all the actors in it, um, from Charlton Heston to Karen Black and to Susan Clark and Irene Sue and Sharon Glass and Lorette Spang. I thank them all for giving performances that still entertain me today. Well, Sean, on that note, of course, our listeners uh, always enjoy your commentary. You'll be back again next month. So once again, Sean, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to the next time next month. Oh, well, well, thank you for having me back. I I appreciate it. And I um, I appreciate the listeners for taking the time to to listen uh, to me today. And for our listeners, today's episode is number 405, as the San Francisco Experience podcast marks its third anniversary. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, 19 platforms in total. And join our audience that spans 65 countries by subscribing to the podcast. This has been the San Francisco Experience Podcast with Jim Herlihy coming to you from San Francisco.